I invite you now to take a Bible and to open it to the Gospel of John. We'll be in chapter 15. One of the ways each of the four Gospels have been described is as a passion narrative with a long introduction, which means whether you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you get a very, very quick account of about 33 years of Jesus' life, and then each writer slows down when it comes to the last week in Jesus' life as a way for us to know and understand that what happened at the very end of his life helps us understand the whole of his life and that it's the most crucial part of his life that we have to come to understand if we're going to make sense of who Jesus is and why he came. And when we go to the Gospel of John, what we get is the longest description of the very final evening in Jesus' life before he went on the cross. So we began last week as a church family in chapter 13, and it goes all the way through chapter 17, where Judas has now left the evening meal gone now to betray Christ to the religious leaders in the day, and Christ is now taking what are his final moments to speak to those who followed him for now three years so that they would understand what's about to happen, what it means, and how it's good for them that ultimately he will go to the cross. So if you are just visiting us for for this week, we're glad to have you. Welcome here to Lakeside. But we encourage you, we're trying to unpack the whole of this. It's called the Farewell Discourse. And so we encourage you to read beginning in verse 31 of chapter 13 all the way through to the end of chapter 17 where it's Jesus explaining in his own words why he's come and why he's about to die and then what he will want for us as his followers, those who believe in him, to do for him. So we're going to pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 15 and we'll read through the fourth verse of the next chapter. This is on page 901 if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away And every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it may be bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, and as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. 
But I've called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. But all these things they'll do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning." I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. And that's where we'll conclude the reading for today. Hopefully, especially for you, Sam and Lance, see in these verses what Stan mentioned, that our prayer is not just for you to endure your college years or any experiences that are in front of you, but to thrive in them. Jesus says, I've come that my joy would be in you and that your joy would be made full and the fruit that you would bear for Christ would be fruit that endures, that never goes away. That's God's desire for all of his children, that as followers of his, as we seek to keep his commands and show our love for him, that all of us would bear fruit for him in the various responsibilities we have and in the various places that he's called us to, whether that's in our home or in our schools or in our workplace, or then for some what we're focusing on in this month, some who feel the call to go to other nations and to serve people they do not know to tell them this message. But they go and make those decisions knowing that they have behind them the God who desires to produce fruit in them. So the first thing that Jesus says to them to to give them this confidence of, well, well, how is that going to happen? He says to them, first of all, realize there is no greater love than this. There's no greater love that one person could have for another than the willingness to lay down their life for them. And Jesus is explaining that to them because he is about to do that in just a matter of hours. So what he's trying to make clear to his disciples is that he could not love them more. And there's not anything more that he could give in the expression of his love toward them than to lay down his life for his friends. He is about to offer the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate gift for them so that in whatever moments come in their life where they wonder, does God really love me? Does he really care? I, it's, it's hard to know that or hard to feel that or experience that when this is going on or this is going on. And so Jesus is saying, 
Don't look immediately at what your present circumstances are. But when you think of me and what I've been willing to do, what more could I do? What more could I have given? I will give everything. I will lay down my own life because I love you. And there is no greater love than that, than what I am going to do for you. So that we as his followers would always look back to the cross as the evidence that God could not possibly love us more than he already does. And that's the quote on the back of your handout, which I don't have in front of me, so I'm kind of paraphrasing. But what the gospel tells us is that we are so flawed and so in need that Christ had to die for us. But it also tells us that we're so loved by him that he was glad to do it. So it simultaneously reveals to us that we're so broken and flawed and off track that a sacrifice did have to be given. But the one who gave it, gave it because he loved us and was glad to pay the ultimate price for us. And I don't know where you come from or what your experiences have been, but surely we all have those moments of wondering, is there really a God out there? And even when we ask that in a general sense, is there someone up there? Has he created us? It's very different than knowing that to knowing that he specifically loves us. That what we sang together, what a friend we have in Jesus. That there is substance behind those words. That the one who died for us, who could not love us more, is also the friend who is accessible to us, to be with us. But he, as a good friend, as someone who could not love us more, is also completely truthful and honest with us. He doesn't say that because of that great love, that they're never going to go through any situation that is difficult or there's not going to be any struggles along the way. So the next thing he says is there is no greater love than this, but also realize no servant is greater than his master. And because we live in a world that is filled with brokenness, the Bible calls it a fallen world, that we do not live in paradise, though we have this love from our Heavenly Father, though he's going to help us to bear fruit that's going to remain, that doesn't mean everyone's going to love us. And that doesn't mean we're always going to feel or experience that love in the same way. What often happens is we're confronted with choices that we look at and we say, okay, here's three options, and I'm not really that excited about any of them. I'm not sure what is completely the right thing to do in this world because there's, there's just some struggle I have with, with almost each one of these. Election 2016, anyone? <laughs> As an example, for me an example recently, um, when you pull off my exit to go home, uh, so you get off at the White Pond Mall Avenue exit um, off of 77 South, it is a very common place, six days out of seven, that someone is at the top of that exit um, panhandling, begging for money, looking for compassion from people that are coming. So a couple of weeks back, I was coming home, and there were two people there. And you almost never see two people there. But if you ever do encounter it, often the very people that are looking for the compassion are not very compassionate to the other people also looking for compassion, especially if they both want to be standing at the same place to get that compassion. So there is a full-out argument going on between two ladies. So much so that the car in front of me is pretty pulled back fairly far from the light. And I totally get it. They see this argument going on. They don't want to get close to it. But I also know, because that's where I have to get off all the time, 
if you don't get up far enough, you won't trigger the sensor and the light won't change. So there I am, and I'm like, I don't, there's not a good option here. I don't want to get out of my car because I don't want to escalate the situation at all. I don't particularly feel called to be the peacemaker in this situation. I really do just want to get home. So I want to honk my horn, but that can be interpreted all kinds of ways, right? So if I honk the horn, are they going to get mad at me? Is the per- I'm not mad at anyone. I'm just, this person in front of me needs to scoot up and say, oh, Jesus, please, please, please. And they moved up and the people stopped arguing and the light turned and I got to move on. <laughs> but it was one of the, I didn't know really, this just felt like every option was a bad option getting out of the car, honking the horn, but doing nothing was also not an option. I knew to do nothing meant we're going to stay here a long time and we're all going to see how this resolves itself. But that scenario repeats itself again and again in the world where we're confronted with decisions where we just say, I also wish I lived in a world where I didn't have to make decisions like this. (laughs) When someone gives me a diagnosis about my child and then you have to hear about potential options. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can I just have the option of not having anything wrong? Nothing, no sickness going, no struggle, no. And no, what we often find is that we are presented with challenges and choices in this world because it's broken and because it's fallen. That in the way it feels and in the way we experience it, we can sense that almost nothing about this feels right. And we're choosing between a variety of bad things. So while Jesus has given them this amazing picture that they're going to be these strong trees that are planted and always producing fruit, and it's the wicked who are just going to blow away because he loves his disciples, he's completely truthful with them. So then he goes on to explain to them from verses 18 and on that they're not greater than him, and though he could not love anymore, he was treated a certain way in spite of his love. He, the Jesus, who had no greater love than any other person could have and the willingness to offer his life was hated, was misrepresented by people. And it's not as much that they couldn't believe in him, but that they wouldn't believe in him. They didn't want to believe in him because to do so would, for some of them, challenge what they were committed to or what positions of authority that they had. And so they, he, he knows. He knows what's about to happen in just a few hours. And so he wants to make clear to them that similar type things are going to happen to them, even if they do the best job they possibly can in following him. So that's a hard sell, right? Follow me, do what I'm doing, trust me. If you do this, your joy will be full. And it's gonna invite a whole lot of criticism and a whole lot of opposition, a whole lot of misunderstanding. And you might get as mistreated as I am. Well, that's where any disciple would be, wait a minute, wait a minute. So why should we do what you do? <laughs> why should we follow your commands? Why should we want to do that? And he knows it is only in as much as they really do believe he is the way, the truth, and the life. It is only if they themselves are convinced that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that he's not lying to them, he's not pretending, he's not faking anything. He really is God come to this earth. He's providing salvation. Only if they really believe that would they be then willing to voluntarily follow after him and do the things that he said to do, even though it might bring opposition. Because when all of these things do take place in the life of the believer, then there are experiences where you say, 
it feels like I'm the one being thrown out. (laughs) I'm the chaff that's just getting scattered. And I'm seeing other people that aren't following you and aren't doing your will and don't care about anyone else. And they seem like they're bearing fruit, that they're living fairly comfortably, that they get to have the things that I wish that I had or that I could provide for my own family. And so though he expresses his love and the promise of endurance, the promise of joy being complete, he knows that on a regular basis, it's gonna feel almost the opposite of that. That they'll be the ones persecuted. That's why we continued into chapter 16 because he says, guys, there's coming a day where they're gonna kick you out of the synagogue. They're gonna throw you out and in what they're doing to you, they're actually gonna think that they're doing me a service that they're obeying God by how they're mistreating you. And so he's saying, I'm wanting to prepare you for that ahead of time so that when it doesn't happen, so when it does happen, you don't say to yourself, man, if all this stuff is happening to me, I must not be doing the right thing. God must not really love me. Say, no, no, I want to take that off the table. I do really love you. I am with you. What they're doing to you is the very thing they did to me. And any of us who are his followers, who are his servants, are not greater than him. And so in a broken world, we will experience, even at our best efforts, the struggles that Christ himself experienced. That's the reality of the world that we live in. So that as we're talking about global missions, as we're talking about how to raise funds for our missionaries, before I even got home, I just pulled out my phone. Uh, most of you had left last week already, and I pulled out my phone, and I had an urgent prayer request from our missionaries in Mali, Africa, Stephen Heather Holsenback. And this is what they wrote. We were just robbed last night. We have a two-story house, and we sleep upstairs, so never heard anything. We have a night guard who's supposed to keep this from happening, so we're not sure what happened. But every charging cable we own and device attached to it was taken. Also, Steve's new hearing aids, our camera and two lenses that we use to take pictures of our ministry here in Mali, and an older laptop that we save for emergencies were also stolen. Steve's man bag, which has his wallet with quite a bit of money since we can't use credit cards here, uh, and that we had just taken to receive some more money, his driver's license, his library card, All of that was taken. Even their own son, Serge's backpack, was stolen. He said, needless to say, we're not in the best of spirits. We're praising God that we're safe, but we're still discouraged. And then they go on to describe just some of the other challenges there. But here they are, a couple that served as doctors in this community, made the call to go to a very, very difficult place to tell people about the gospel. That in our minds, we would almost say, okay, God, So when we do really follow you and we take seriously serving you, of course what you're going to do is just make sure then that nothing bad happens. And Jesus to all of his followers makes very clear to them that's not the exchange. There's there's not a bartering that when we obey God and when we do what he wants that we're going to be automatically spared from those difficulties. There was a, a family of five from a congregation in Minneapolis that had made the call to leave their jobs, uh, a husband and wife, three young kids, to be missionaries in Japan. While they were driving from Minneapolis, this is just about three weeks ago, driving from Minneapolis to Colorado to do their training on their way to Japan, they were struck by a semi-truck, and all five of them entered into glory. 
And it's one of those situations that you would say, well, God, what are you doing? And, and many of your own lives have been touched that way, of people that you know who were some of the best lights in this world, who were some of the, the most winsome personalities, able to share and connect with people and tell them about the gospel, and then that they have gone through diagnosis and pain, sickness, and even death. Why is that happening? That doesn't make sense to us that those kind of difficulties would arise. And then our own stories. We've been sending this week prayer requests about families who've lost loved ones coming from church events that we've been praying for. And we say, God, wait a minute. I thought if we follow you, if we do what you want, if we're sincere, what, how do we interpret that? And if we go back to what Jesus said in these final moments, we see he doesn't deny the reality of any of those difficulties. To every one of his followers, he does not make the promise to them that those bad things won't happen. Uh, One of the gentlemen that I had invited and hoped would come and and preach as a guest for us one Sunday, Reverend Dennis Butts from the House of the Lord, has been now diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and the whole church is in shock over it. Last week, a prayer gathering was organized on behalf of him, of leaders throughout the community, and the very pastor who organized it, Pastor Mark Ford, who leads Love Akron, just then a week later, himself, a few days ago, had a heart attack. And again, you just see this way. These aren't the people that are necessarily causing a lot of the problems in this world right now. (laughs) They're, They're doing what they can to give of themselves, to bring people together, to share out of the overflow of that love. But when we come back and we see how honest Jesus is to all of his disciples to say, none of you servants, the best of you servants, any of you servants will ever be greater than me and the world treated me in this way because it's a broken world and it's a dark world and there are some people that don't want the light to shine. There are some people who would prefer to stay in the dark you know, if you ever watch a matinee and then you come outside and then the light just hurts so bad, you're like, oh my goodness, it takes you seconds to adjust. There are some who are saying, I'd rather stay in the dark room than have someone shine a light on what's happening. And so Jesus is preparing his followers that that is going to take place. So the good news is that he's also going to demonstrate to them in just a few hours is that when those things do happen, however, there is no persecution greater than God's purpose. So there's no greater love than Christ willing to lay down his life, but none of us are greater than him, and so persecution is going to come in all kinds of ways. But what he is saying that we can know for sure about our Heavenly Father is that in whatever circumstances he allows things to happen and allows people to make choices that cause harm, in allowing all of those things, he has still set it up in such a way that his purpose will be greater than any persecution that come. And that's exactly what Jesus demonstrates on the cross. All of the powers of darkness come against him. Their goal is to stop him. Their goal is to prevent his message from going forward. Their goal is to shut out the light. But everything they do to him as persecution becomes the very means by which the world is redeemed. 
his sacrifice on the cross becomes the substitution for the very sinners who put him on the cross. And that's the good news, that he didn't remain on the cross and that he didn't remain in the grave, but on a Sunday, he rose again from it to demonstrate to everyone that no persecution that ever comes against his people as they're seeking to bear fruit ultimately overwhelms it. But his purpose is accomplished. And then in these various verses, he says how they're going to be thrown out of the synagogue and they're going to think that what they're doing is service to God and we don't have to go very much farther in our Bibles into Acts chapter 7 when that very scenario plays itself out. When the religious leaders of the day come after a disciple named Stephen who's doing everything he can to now follow the Lord, to obey his commands, to preach his message, the end of which what he gets is not a, well, good job, that was a great message today. You know, we're really glad we came to church. No, he gets stoned to death at the end of it. And everyone who does it thinks they're doing this as a service to God. And one of the people standing there is holding everyone's coats so that they cannot be restricted in their stone throwing. And that person was someone named Saul. And he hated the Christians. And he thought what he was doing was a service to God. And then what he discovered is that the very message that Stephen was proclaiming, that Stephen was persecuted for, was also the very good news that Saul needed to hear that could forgive Saul of all of his sins so that he could become Paul and that he could become a revolutionary church planter passionate about global missions. Because it is the truth that we can look up to and say, God, we don't understand why you allow certain things to happen. We don't We can't make sense of the news reports that are coming in. We can't make sense of the prayer requests that are coming in. But we are pleading and asking that as you've been totally honest with us about that, and therefore we know you're truthful, that when your word is also encourages us to know that the good news is better than the bad news is bad, that you will be victorious, that no persecution, no suffering will ultimately have the final say because we serve a risen Lord, a victorious Lord, who is the one that can make every wrong right in the resurrection. That's good news. That's good news worth telling people. That's good news worth even experiencing suffering for so that we can tell people that there's hope beyond suffering. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and are thankful that there is no greater love that anyone can have than your love for us. In our love, we think of how to, in every way possible, avoid pain, avoid suffering, avoid sorrow. But we do recognize that we live in a world where that's not an option. All of us, in simply our birth and simply taking our breaths, experience all kinds of trials and struggles. Things that shout to us that we're not loved, that we're not cared for. And so we thank you that we can look backwards to the cross and say emphatically that we are loved and that we can also look to the future of your return and know that you give us the hope of undoing pain, of undoing suffering, of undoing loss through your great power because you really are the way, the truth, and the life. Father, in every... um, 
family situation that I mentioned, I do pray your blessing upon all those who are suffering. We do lift up to you the Holsenbachs and just the sense of insecurity that they now feel and having their house robbed while they and their kids were sleeping in it. We ask that you would restore that peace and we ask that you would ultimately do something additional that shines the light of your gospel, the hope that it gives of restoration and of forgiveness. We lift up the Botashan family and the Graf family and the loss of Brianna and the concern over others who are still receiving care. We ask that you would be the friend that they cry out to and can lean on in these moments, that you would be their rock that would sustain them, the awesome God that is with them in the valley that can shelter them in the time of storm. We pray for Dennis, we pray for Mark. And Father, you know all of the unknown needs and struggles that are represented here as well. Things that we don't even know about ourselves yet that we're going to discover that you know. But we pray that you would help us to have that joy that you give. That your joy would be in us. That we would go forward not in fear, but knowing that every good thing you're seeking to accomplish through us will outlast any opposition and any persecution and any suffering that could ever come toward us. We thank you for that good news. In your son's name we pray, amen.